0: So, uh, yeah, if you guys don't know me, my name is Dale, and I'm uh, part of the team that leads New Life Community Church. Um, Last time I was here, I managed to steal the notes of the worship team uh, after I'd finished, so my plan today, if nothing else, is to uh, make sure that I don't steal anyone else's notes. Um, What I want to do with you guys this morning, first of all, I just want to say... I'm not even sure what I can add this morning after our worship time together. I really felt God was with us as we just considered his marvellous, marvellous sacrifice, his plan of salvation. But I'm going to do my best to bring something of value anyway. I'm going to start with something just a little bit different. Um, I'm going to start with a poem. Oh, controversial, controversial. Um, So the working title of this poem is called The Gospel... In verse. Uh, don't be too critical. I did write it myself. <clears throat> so the, uh, as I say it, the words are going to appear behind me. Hopefully there's a little bit, of, little bit of visual clarity to any of my statements in this poem. Where do I begin? With sin? With the fact that we've all missed God's mark? No. That's not the start. It begins with a father's heart. God's heart, so full of love that he chose to breathe life into dust. Dust to flesh, in his image we were made. His great power and glory displayed. Unashamed, in his presence we could stand, face to face with God, the great I am. Then he gave a command, don't eat this fruit, we were told, or you'll die and your flesh will become cold. You may eat the fruit of any other tree, but the fruit of this one is death, you see. Then lying through his teeth, the serpent said, don't listen to God, listen to me instead. You won't die The serpent lied. Eat the fruit. It will open your eyes. Eve took the fruit and bit in deep. Adam stood by but did not speak. Then he joined her in her terrible meal. But ashamed and afraid, they began to feel. They'd rebelled against God. They knew that now. And death was waiting to cut them down. God said, where are you, Adam? What have you done? Not I, said he. Eve was the one. Then God pronounced judgment, a punishment from on high. We still live with it now, both you and I. From dust we came and to dust we'll go. Suffering, pain and death, we'll all know. For the wages of sin is death, you see, and we've each of us failed the test of the tree. Relationship broken. A chasm made. No way to return. The price left unpaid. But then God gave a promise of one who would come to crush the serpent and all we'd done who'd make a way to put things back, to pay the price and bridge the gap. So, God sent his son Jesus down from heaven above, whose heart was filled with the same powerful love. Born a carpenter's son from a virgin birth, God in flesh upon the earth. And so the God-man grew Mission in mind to save those he loved for all of time. And though he was great, we decided he was not. Instead, we all rejected him and mocked. Then, betrayed, abused, abandoned and scorned, his beard we plucked and his flesh we tore. And then we hung him on a tree, And drove fierce nails through his hands and feet. With arms nailed open, this sinless lamb bore the sin of every man. And in that moment, the great exchange, his spotless robes for our sinful stains. As blood flowed from his thorny crown, the wrath of God thundered down. He breathed his last. It is finished, he cried. The price is paid, and with that, he died. Interred in a tomb, his body was laid. A solid stone across the cave mouth was placed. But when the third day came, the scene had changed. The stone had rolled, the cave mouth was a gate. Only folded grave clothes where his corpse had been. Christ now risen by many seen. Death is beaten. Sin is done. The curse is broken. Christ has won. Jesus passed the test of the tree in our place for you and for me. And so we return to the very start and the love that pours from God's own heart. For God so loved that he sent his son to save the world from all we've done. That whoever believes in Christ would not perish, but have eternal life. So think on this when my words are through. Christ nailed to cross, was slain for you. You may be wondering why I've read you that poem. I read it because if you know Jesus, I really want you to have a right perspective this morning. I read it because I wanted to share the good news with those of you who might not know Jesus. And I read it because today is Easter Sunday. Culturally, today is the culmination of the Easter festivities that the supermarkets began preparing us for in, like, I don't know, December last year? I'm not sure. (laughs) It's marked out by Easter eggs, Easter bunnies, hot cross buns, and if you've got little kids, it's marked out by trying to stop them shoveling in as much chocolate as they possibly can and possibly throwing all up before you get to church in the morning. Well, that's my experience when our kids were little anyway. On a more serious note, it's the day when traditionally the Christian church particularly remembers and celebrates the gospel or the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. The aim of the poem was to help us think about this good news. Because sometimes I think when we do that, maybe we start in the wrong place. I think sometimes when we think about the cross, about the resurrection, I think we start with us. We start with me. I think quite often we begin with our sin. We know the wrong things we've done, right? The ways we fail God and how far and how often we have missed his mark. And we know that sin had to be dealt with. And we know that God did that through Jesus on the cross, Now, when we consider that, that leads us to a place of joy and thankfulness and worship, and so it should do. But is that where we should start? If you don't know Jesus, then you're probably going to start with you too. Because all this stuff about forgiveness and salvation and relationship with God is great, but what does God want from me? What do I have to do? What will it cost me? Again, these are all perfectly reasonable questions, but I I don't think they should be our starting point. It may surprise you to know that the gospel, the good news, is not actually about you primarily. It's about God. It's about the God who is love. It's about his plans and purposes in eternity past, to have a people to share that love with and to receive love from. Not because he needed to, but because he chose to. It's about the God who is all-knowing and therefore knew full well what creating that people would mean. It's about the God who saw the end from the beginning and committed to the infinite personal cost of it intentionally. Do you get that? The gospel is about the God who looked ahead of time and said, I know what it's going to cost me to bring this people into existence, and I'm committed to it. It's about the God who's acted sovereignly throughout human history to bring about the exact conditions and the sequence of events that culminated in the cross of Christ. Have you ever thought about that? If God's sovereign, then he ordained that that would happen. 2 Timothy 1, 9 to 10 says this, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus our Saviour. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. My dear brothers and sisters, my friends, I want you to understand something. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus that we rightly remember and celebrate with joy-filled thanksgiving was not God's plan B. The sinfulness of human beings throughout history has not created a series of unfortunate events that God's had to work around. As I said in the poem, even when we go right back to Adam and Eve's rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden, God promises a savior right there in Genesis. Genesis 3.15 speaks about an offspring of Eve that despite being wounded by the devil will nevertheless defeat him by dealing a deadly blow. Theologically, this is called the Proto-Evangelium, or the first gospel. I love that because it sounds super intelligent. It's not, it's just a bit of Latin, I think. The point is, this first gospel sets the trajectory for the whole of God's word. When Moses led God's people out of slavery in Egypt. He was pointing the way to Jesus, who would lead God's people out of slavery to sin. When God instituted animal sacrifice as a way to deal with sin, he was pointing to the type of innocent, well, the innocent death that Jesus was going to suffer on the cross. When David sunk a stone into the forehead of a Philistine giant, he was pointing to Jesus through his death and resurrection, would defeat those giant powers of Satan, sin, and death. And when Elisha saw a child raised to life by the power of God, he witnessed the same universe-shaking power that would raise Jesus to life again on the third day. Can you see how the gospel encompasses the whole sweep of Scripture? And it starts with God. I think it's when we start here that the truth of the gospel explodes in all its glorious fullness. Because it gives us this incredible eternal perspective on the good news. The good news that God loves you so much that he stepped down from the perfection, the beauty and the holiness of heaven in the person of Jesus. And he came to live amongst the evil, mucky, swamp water of our sin-infested human existence. And then he took the punishment that you deserve for all your sinful rebellion against God upon himself on the cross, laying down his very life for you. And here's the thing. He planned and purposed to do this for you before the foundation of the world. The whole Bible story funnels down to this three-day moment. But the true fulfillment of Jesus' victory is not seen on Good Friday. In order to understand the scope and the magnitude of Jesus' death, we have to consider his sacrifice in light of Easter Sunday and his glorious resurrection. Because if Jesus had stayed dead, then it would have all been for nothing. There'd be no eternal life with God, no forgiveness for our rebellion, no restoration of our relationship with him, and no hope of salvation. But the good news that we celebrate today and every day is that he did not stay dead. Just as God had planned, he raised Jesus back to life And in doing so, not only guaranteed the forgiveness of our sins, made a way for us to have a relationship with God here in this life, but he also secured the hope that we can continue that relationship into eternal life. Guys, that is not just what Easter Sunday is about. It's what every Sunday is about. And in fact, as a Christ follower, it's what every day is about. There's no greater joy than knowing that I will share eternity with the God who not only loved me enough to die for me, but decided and committed to that course of action before the foundation of the world. I want to finish with a couple of final thoughts. Do you remember those questions that I started with, the personal ones? What does God want from me? What do I have to do? What will it cost me? I'm going to just try to answer that anybody who genuinely, that's where they're at this morning. So what does God want from me? In response to God's eternal and saving initiative, God wants the same thing he wanted before the foundation of the world. He wants you to love him back. From experience, I can tell you that that love from me leads to a desire to please him by living a life that reflects his character and nature. But it's not about my behavior first, it's about me loving him. Everything I do then is an overflow of that affection and desire for him. And I can honestly say that relationship is the deepest and most profound relationship in my life. What do I have to do? The Bible says, believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. What does that mean? It means you need to commit. You need to invite Jesus into relationship with you. You need to commit to him as both your savior and the ultimate authority in your life. Even if you're a Christian, there are moments where you have to do that again. You have to say, Jesus, I submit my life to you again. I submit this area of my life to you again. Often, we will hold things back from God. He, he calls us to give him all of ourselves. Which leads me to my next point. What will it cost me? Honestly? Honestly, it costs nothing. And it costs everything. Everything. You can't buy it for pennies or pounds, but the price is high. The price is, as I've said, submitting every inch of your life to Jesus and declaring him Lord and God over it. I've lost things because of my walk with Jesus, but I can testify that for whatever I've lost, God has given back and doubled it. And honestly, understanding what God's done from before the foundation of the world for me, contemplating on how far he's gone for me, it's a cost that I have gladly paid. I also want to share this thought with you. Based on everything we've already heard about in our worship time and things I've said already, are you living in light of this third day, the resurrection day of Jesus? Because that changes things, right? Jesus' resurrection has changed everything. Jesus' followers were in a bad way on Easter Saturday because they were busy with the business of grieving. Despite the fact that Jesus had repeatedly told them that he'd been raised to life again on the third day, they couldn't see it. Uh, To be honest, I think that's understandable, given the context. But it does make me think, what would I have done in their place? If I didn't know what I know now, probably the same thing. But knowing what I know now, if I was waiting for Jesus to return, shouldn't I be expectantly waiting eagerly anticipating it? Shouldn't that shape my plans and my priorities? Shouldn't I be busy making preparations? The point is, we do live in such a time. In this season now, when Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God the Father and we can no longer see him, just like his first disciples, we are waiting. We're waiting for him to return. And so my question is, how are we waiting? Are we waiting eagerly and expectantly, being diligent to make all the necessary preparations? Or are we busy with the business of life or ministry or family? Jesus has promised us that he'll return and his resurrection is proof that he keeps his promises, right? Right? He told his disciples, I'll be raised again on the third day. He is raised again on the third day. He's told us he's coming back. He is coming back. Now he could return in a thousand years, a hundred years, or in ten minutes. But let's live our lives like it's ten minutes. Because let's let that shape our plans and our priorities so that every minute counts. Amen? I'd like to invite the worship team to come back up. And they're going to lead us once again. I'll uh, take my notes off the stand. On for me. What I'd like us to do, I'd like us to respond with our hearts full of praise for the God that's predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through that blood of Jesus that was, that was planned even before the foundation of the world. Let's take a moment to stand before God and check our hearts. Let's see if we're living our lives like third day people, waiting for Jesus to return. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, but you felt stirred in your heart that you want to say Jesus is Lord, then let me encourage you to come find me, one or the other team, or even the person sitting next to you and confess it with your mouth because there's something powerful about taking what's internal and verbalizing it, making it external. We'd love to chat with you about that. We want to pray with you. But I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship King Jesus. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that you considered me valuable enough to you. To decide to die for me before the foundation of the world. Thank you that your plan is plan A. Thank you that your death on the cross, your resurrection is a promise to me. Thank you that you are coming back. Lord, my heart sings with the hope of when your heavenly kingdom comes in all its fullness when as your word says, those of us who are still alive will be caught up with you in the air as you transform this world. I pray, Lord, whatever's in me that needs to be submitted, whatever inch I may hold back from you, help me submit that to you so that I can live every minute in light of your resurrection and your return. And Lord, I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters. As we come to worship you now, fill us with your spirit. Stir our hearts to joy and worship. And I pray, stir us to want to submit ourselves to you afresh this morning. I ask that in Jesus' name.